Welcome to Soundprint. I'm Larry Massett. In the old days, back before the end of the Cold War, you could drive anywhere in this country, from the remotest Appalachian Valley to the highest, driest desert, and nowhere could you find a town that was not a prime target in the event of nuclear war. You could be in, let us say, Spittleburg, Idaho, and people would say, you know, Spittleburg is pretty much ground zero if the bomb ever goes off. Why? Well, there was always some reason, but basically it was civic pride. All towns want to be the center of something, be it atomic attack or giant corn cobs. Anything is fodder for the myth. Occasionally the myth is true. Time was, old painters wanted to go to Paris. Then they went to New York. If you wanted to make a movie, you went to L.A. Right now, if you want to be in the music business, chances are you're packing your bags for Branson, Missouri. Why? In our show today, Branson Postcards, producer Dan Collison will explain the mystery, we hope. It's early spring in the Ozarks, and in Branson, Missouri, that means one thing, the beginning of the tourist season. For the next eight months, the tour buses will roll up and down Branson's Highway 76 strip, a neon blur of motels, restaurants, and theaters. There's the Andy Williams Moon River Theater, Wayne Newton's Five Star Theater, the Boxcar Willie Theater, the Mickey Gilly Theater, the Osmond Family Theater. The big show in Branson this week is here at the Glen Campbell Good Time Theater. It's called the Branson Jam, an annual four-day concert that kicks off the tourist season and features almost every act in town. In the theater's parking lot, an Elvis impersonator dressed in a white high-collared jacket with tassels, white bell-bottoms, and white boots directs traffic and greets people as they arrive for tonight's show. Today's the Jam Fest. That's where all of the stars come to the blue tent. They sign autographs and stuff, and then tonight between 7 and 10 o'clock, they have their three-hour show. Inside the blue tent, a long line stretches almost out the door. It's women mostly, middle-aged and older. I'm Margie Smith, and I'm a tour director with Knoxville Tours, standing in line to see one of my people's favorite, Wayne Newton. I'm going to take a picture back to the office to one of the gals that's autographed. There we go. Thank you, sweetheart. Hi there. How are you? Hi, thank you. Looking forward to the show. At the front of the line, Wayne Newton sits at a folding table, signing autographs and posing for snapshots. Fantastic. <laughs> That'll get you in a lot of trouble. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I'm recently divorced, so this means a lot. <laughs> thank you. Irma. These women are among the five million tourists who visit Branson each year. Most arrive by bus, Branson's the number one destination for tour buses in the United States, and stay in one of Branson's 180 lodgings. Tourists have their choice of 200 restaurants and can take in as many as four different shows a day. This town of 5,000 has 50,000 theater seats, more than Broadway. Of course, Branson wasn't always this way. Hi, welcome to Marvel Cave. We're now 305 feet underground. In fact, we're directly below Silver Dollar City in the Branson Ozark Hills. Uh, here in Marvel Cave is a place that I really uh, can relate to. My family came here. Jack Hershen uh, was a teenager in 1950 when his family took out a 99-year lease on Marvel Cave and made it into one of Branson's first major tourist attractions. The cave in 1950 did not enjoy electric lights, 
and uh, was a very, very strenuous trip. It, you used to go down 505 feet on stairs uh, carrying lanterns. The Hershens built a trolley system that carried people down the steep grade. They also brought in music groups and held square dances at the bottom of the cave. It was about this time that a musician by the name of Presley, Lloyd Presley, no relation to Elvis, was performing in a cave not too far from here. And uh, we, we had a radio show out of there on Saturday night. And uh, kind of an unusual place, kind of damp and cool. Uh, lots of bats flying around and getting in your hair. That always helped with the music, you know. <laughs> By the mid-60s, Marvel Cave and Silver Dollar City, an 1890s theme park located directly above the cave, were attracting tourists from all over the Midwest. The Branson area was also fast becoming a popular fishing spot, and Lloyd Presley saw an opportunity to perform above ground. So we put up just a, well, a metal building. I think we seated maybe three or four hundred people. And at the time, we built the building so that if country music didn't work, it'd make a real good boat storage. <laughs> but thank goodness we didn't have to make a boat storage out of it. But anyway, that's kind of the way we started here. And it's when this great guns for us. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to experience an American entertainment tradition. The show that started the music on Branson's now world-famous 76 Country Boulevard. For the 27th consecutive year, the Presley family proudly presents Presley's Jubilee. From mid-March to early December, three generations of Presleys, led by 70-year-old Lloyd on stand-up bass, play to packed houses at the family-owned Presley Theater. This would-be boat warehouse now seats 1,200 people and is one of more than two dozen theaters on the Highway 76 Strip. I don't know, we kind of look back and kind of makes you smile today, but when we started here, uh, there was no way in this world that you could got a lot of the big stars that are in Branson today to even drive through Branson to look at it, let alone come here and do a show. Now they can't build enough theaters around us here in Branson. But we're proud of them, we love them all, and, and they're making our business real good, so we like that. In Branson, bulldozers and cranes are almost as common as tour buses. The construction boom that began in 1991 peaked at $136 million in 1993 and has since leveled off to about $90 million a year, still a figure that would make cities 10 times the size of Branson envious. At one end of the strip, Dolly Parton Industries is building a combination horse show dinner theater. At the other end, a new shopping complex is going up and luxury condominiums and retirement villages are sprouting up all over the hills surrounding Branson, land recently annexed by the city. All this means plenty of jobs in Branson, construction and low-paying service jobs mostly. Since the early 90s, people have been flocking to Branson to work as ticket takers, parking lot attendants, housekeepers, waiters and waitresses. 
Branson has become something of a mecca for migrant service workers and construction workers from all over the country. I lived in Florida before this. I went, we moved down to Florida for the construction boom down there, then we moved back. Then when it died there, they said Branson's growing. So me and my wife moved up here. And I've been here for three years now. And I can't complain, it keeps, works pretty steady. Can't complain. It's a wonderful day at the Comfort Inn. How may I help you? Barbara D. Wilde works the front desk at the Branson Comfort Inn. She moved here from Arkansas after her husband died. And I needed to make changes and find a new life, and I did, and I love it here. Housekeeping. My name is Flossie Brewer. I'm a housekeeper at Comfort Inn in Branson, and this is my third season here. I love my job. I was on welfare for eight years, and I was so down on myself. And coming to work here, I have, it's made a whole new person out of me. I feel proud of myself that I can, I can show my kids, see, I work for what I get, and I've earned what we get. But like most of the service workers in Branson, Flossie Brewer does not earn enough to live in Branson. So she lives in one of the trailer parks located in the hills outside town. Well, the name of our trailer park is Oak Hills Campground. And we have about 80, sometimes up to 100 families live in here year-round. Oak Hills Campground is tucked back off the main road in a tree-covered ravine about six miles north of Branson. Owner John Brown is dressed in blue work clothes and a baseball cap. With a toothpick dangling from the side of his mouth, he stands atop a hill overlooking about 100 old and battered trailers and mobile homes and a few canvas tents. It's kind of the Harlem of the Branson area. It's where all the low-income families accumulate, gather. Some of them got quite a few kids. Today, some kids are playing kickball on the dirt road in front of an old blue school bus that houses a family of eight. The mother and father are off at work in Branson. John Brown says it's a familiar story. Like the pioneers of the gold rush days. They've gone there looking for bigger and better things and then they get to here and they're somewhat stranded because can't make big enough way just to hardly get away from here. They spent all they got to get to here and, and kind of get disillusioned, you know. Mickey Childers, her husband and their two kids moved here from California looking for work and a plot of land. They found work she and her husband install heaters and air conditioners in Branson, but have had to settle for a tiny space here at Oak Hills to put the beat-up trailer they dragged along with them from California. Well, I guess it's living. We have running water and electricity and sewers, so I can't complain too bad that way, but uh, it's for plans for the future to, to keep working and make a living, and um, hopefully eventually if all goes well, um, save up enough money to buy um, a small lot, lot and uh, build a dream home and, and raise ch children right. Give our kids the best we can. Oh, we've run out of 
Hi, this is Lou Schaefer and I'm in downtown Branson and uh, we are visiting the Branson Cafe right now and uh, it's been here a long time. I came here in 1952 and drank coffee and here I am in 1995 drinking coffee. From his window booth in the Branson Cafe, Lou Schaefer has an entirely different view of Branson than the one from Oak Hills Campground. A procession of tourists are parading up and down Main Street, piling on and off tour buses and crowding in and out of souvenir shops. It's the fastest growing town, I say, in the country. I know it is in Missouri. It's the number one tourism location for family entertainment. And uh, we do not have gambling in the area. And it's a unique area within the country. I always call it an oasis uh, in the middle of the United States. And by the way, we are almost in the middle. Lou Schaefer is a big man, both in physical stature and in the influence he wields in town. He's been right in the middle of the metamorphosis of Branson, from quiet Ozark resort town to the new Nashville, as people here like to call it. Schaefer opened the first Holiday Inn in Branson back in 1970. He now owns two hotels, the Queen Anne One and Two. And Lou Schaefer has held just about every civic job there is in Branson, from head of the Chamber of Commerce to his current position, mayor. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Hi. I'm Lou Schaefer, mm -hmm. running for mayor. I hope you've seen some of my signs. Yes, sir. Election day is less than a week away, and candidate Schaefer is going door to door. He's working his way up and down the streets of a comfortable, tree-lined residential neighborhood. But, uh, I will appreciate your support. Okay. Do you know if the folks in the back are home? It's a young girl that lives Lou Schaefer won the election by a comfortable margin and is now getting to work on building new roads in Branson. Traffic along the strip is often backed up for miles. New sewer and water systems are also needed to handle all the recent growth and future growth. Down a little further on Mayor Schaefer's priority list is affordable housing. Affordable housing, uh, I plan, uh, to try to set up a task force or a committee to do nothing but study that as a problem. It's, it's a major problem. Uh, how does a person working for six and a half, seven dollars an hour afford a $700, $800 rent? And that's our big problem now. But we're planning on setting up a committee, studying it, seeing what can be done. In the meantime, Mayor Schaefer has his sights set on his goal for the year 2000 doubling the number of visitors to Branson to 10 million a year. But as Branson continues to grow, there's concern that the area will lose some of the characteristics that made it popular in the first place. We know that what first attracted people here to the Ozarks was the beauty of the hills and the kindness of the people. And we never want to walk away from that. Terry Dickensheet is the Director of Employee Training for the Silver Dollar City Corporation. The company's holdings in Branson include Marvel Cave, the Grand Palace, Branson's largest theater, a huge shopping complex, and the highly popular 1890s theme park. The theme park alone employs 1,200 people, all of whom are required to take orientation and training classes at a place called Legendary University. Welcome to Legendary University. This is the home of Mary Hershen. She was the founder of Silver Dollar City, and Mary had one dream and that dream was to make Silver Dollar City as fun of a place to work as it was to visit. And that dream is alive today here. The at classes are a mix of Ozark really history, nature, and religion. 
what instructor Terry Dickensheet refers to as Christian values and ethics. So in your books, you'll see the mission statement underneath that roadmap that says we create memories worth repeating, and you'll see the five cities. We greatly exceed customer expectations, we empower each other, we theme environments, we constantly improve, and we do this all in a manner consistent with Christian values and ethics. Our objective is not to hire all Christians and have only, um, only uh, born-again Christians uh, working here. That would be uh, not real. First of all, it wouldn't be realistic uh, in, in terms of the numbers of people that come in here. Pete Hershen owns the Silver Dollar City Corporation, along with his brother Jack. But I would hope that the men and women who work for Silver Dollar City would, uh, would come to know, would come to know uh, Jesus as Savior. That's very important. It isn't a requirement of working here, but it is very, very important that to us, to my brother and myself, and we think to a lot of the people who work here, that this is a Christ-centered organization, um, that we do, the things we do, uh, hopefully, will be seen as uh, bringing honor and glory to our Lord. We believe that very, very strongly. So in the words of your fellow citizens, this is what you all mean by that. Things like smiling. Silver Dollar City, with the help of the Branson Chamber of Commerce, is now offering the legendary university classes to other businesses in Branson. That's what everybody meant by Christian values and ethics, and it's neat to see it in the words of you and your fellow citizens. We do have a very special surprise for you, and this wasn't announced at all, and I'm very proud to introduce him to get things started. Would you please welcome, direct from Las Vegas, Wayne Newton! Back at the Branson Jam, Wayne Newton has finished his autograph session and is now up on stage at the Glen Campbell Good Time Theater to introduce the first act. Uh, Emerson once said that, that uh, greatness is he that reminds you of no other. Well, in, in that respect, this man truly is great because there's only one and I, I want a Branson welcome for him because uh, he's fast becoming uh, Mr. Branson, if you will, and certainly a mainstay and loves this town and its people and this state. Would you give a big, big round of applause to Tony Orlando! Tony Orlando started performing in Branson in the early 90s and was an immediate hit. He now plays to sell out crowds at his Yellow Ribbon Theater, and at least during the tourist season, Branson is Tony Orlando's home. In Branson, we have an off-season, right? Branson is the place to be. It's beautiful country, beautiful people, and the shows are wonderful. And I wrote a little song that I opened with today. It's called, I Got the Boxcar Willies and the Mickey Gilly Blues. I went on back to L.A. to visit my mama Rose. I flew on down to Mexico to warm up my winter bones. I came on back to Vegas to catch me a show or two. I got the boxcar willies and the Mickey Gilly blues. I had to come home. Blue. 
And that's what happens when you leave Branson. You start thinking about all those wonderful shows and all those wonderful performers and all what it has to give and the, and the fishing and the mountains and the Ozarks and, and the Eha spirit, which is what I call it. And I can't wait to get back. Eha meaning like aloha spirit to what, what that is to Hawaii. There's an Eha spirit here, you know, Eha. There's that wonderful, giving American, old-fashioned American way of life. Uh, and, and the process of thinking here is fading quickly in, in this country. And it's alive and well in Branson. All of my friends in New York, if they were really smart, they'd catch the next plane to Branson. You won't even find a slot. You don't gamble on your vacation, so therefore you never lose. They'll get the box car willies and those Mickey Gilly blues. We gotta go home. That's what they'll say. Like Tony Orlando, most of the performers in Branson no longer have recording contracts and for the most part no longer tour. Instead, they've settled down in the Ozarks and let the crowds come to them. Comedians Rich Little and Yakov Smirnov, for example, and Roy Clark, the first nationally known performer to build a theater in Branson. All right, let her go, Branson is like a Norman Rockwell painting. It uh, is very pleasing to the soul to come to Branson. It really takes you back, and I think a lot of people on their first visit will say, I didn't know this still existed. This, if not, if not their childhoods, is the childhoods that they would like to have had. Richard Nixon would have loved Branson because it's, it's a live performance. There's nothing here on tape. And I love uh, live performers, uh, even though I'm not. To me, it's an ultimate America. It's the way America was probably early when people um, believed in themselves more. And I think that that's what attracted me very much because I still, when I came to America, that's what I was envisioning. Of course, not everyone who visits Branson goes away with this kind of enthusiasm. One fellow on his way out of town was unimpressed. Hobo Jim. Hobo Jim passed through Branson a few months back looking for a job on the Highway 76 strip. Yeah, I've been up and down 76 for three days looking for work. And nobody will hire me because I'm crippled up. I'm getting old. I've got a beard. I ain't fancy dressed. It's true, Branson tourism officials are now trying to appeal to a younger, more upscale crowd with more disposable income. Still, at age 60, 
Hobo Jim is about the average age of a typical Branson visitor. But unlike most tourists, he doesn't care much for the town and what it has to offer. Standing between the Jim Stafford and the Boxcar Willie Theaters, Hobo Jim explains that he passed through Branson a long time ago, in the 1950s, and he thinks it's changed for the worse. They've ruined it. They built all these buildings and put pavement, sidewalks. They ruined the birds. They ruined them. They ruined them for the animals. Them theaters and music. Somebody bought me a ticket. I wouldn't even go in one. And with that, Hobo Jim turned and walked back into the woods, toward Silver Dollar City and Marvel Cave, the place where modern-day Branson all began. for Anita Bryant. It's a most unusual day. Feel like throwing my worries away. As an old lady born Oklahoman would say, it's a most unusual day. There's a most unusual For America's favorite kid at heart, Mr. Jim Stafford. Branson Postcards was produced by Dan Collison as part of The People Next Door, a special series funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. If you would like more information about this topic, send email to info at soundprint.org and in the subject field write Branson for an automatic response. Or if you'd like to see some real postcards of Branson, check us out on the web. Our address is http colon slash slash soundprint.org. 
Soundprint is produced by the Soundprint Media Center in association with WAMU at the American University. Today's program is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Write us with your ideas and comments. Write Soundprint, 4000 Brandywine Street, Northwest, Suite 620, Washington, D.C., 20016. Cassettes are 1250, and if you'd like to order a cassette with a credit card, call us at 202 885 1285. That's 202 885 1285. Our email address is info at soundprint.org, and on the web, our address is http colon slash slash soundprint.org. Next week on Soundprint, the logging industry in the Northwest. The timber industry was, was declining so rapidly, so I just decided to, I looked at something with the future in it. And sanitation disposal, there'll always be garbage. Timber branches out. Next week on Soundprint. Soundprint is technical director Anna Maria DeFreitas, studio engineer Robin Wise, senior producer Jude Doherty, and production assistant Francesca Raymond. Our executive producer is Moira Rankin. I'm Larry Massett.